please be aware the stories, theories, reenactments, and language of this podcast are of an adult nature and can be disturbing, frightening, and even in some cases, offensive. Therefore, listener discretion is advised. Hey, there is very adult content ahead, and you have been warned. Welcome, heathens. Welcome to the world of the weird and unexplained. As always, I am your host, Nicole Delacroix, and together we will be investigating stories about the weird, wonderful, unexplained, eerie, scary, and downright unbelievable. There will be tales of ghosts, murder, supernatural beings, and unexplained mysteries. So, sit back. Grab your favorite drink, relax, and prepare to be transported to today's Dark Enigma. And on today's Dark Enigma, you guys are in for a real treat. Because as a mea culpa for the delay in last week's episode, I am giving you a two-for-one this week. That's right, my darlings. We're going to be talking about a prolific serial killer and a ghost. So my lovelies, belly up to the bar and get your drinks because today is an episode you do not want to miss. This is a very, very special episode for all my dearest friends in Charleston, South Carolina, and just a way for me to say, hey guys, and I love you lots. As always, we will be playing our drinking game, but once again, the drinking game is only for those of you that are at home and have nowhere else to go tonight. And I can honestly say I have been saving this one, so tonight's drink of choice is going to be shots of Southern Comfort, because everyone deserves a little Southern Comfort. So my heathens, dare to put a little South in your mouth and play the game? And with that, we'll move on to the game part. So every time I say Charleston, that will be a single shot. And every time I say serial killer, well, that will be one hell of a double shot. (laughs) Now that we have the business end out of the way, we can jump headfirst into today's dark enigma. And the first female serial killer in the United States, Lavinia Fisher. Legend has held that the first widely recognized first female serial killer in the United States is Lavinia Fisher. She was born in 1793, but the location of her birth, her maiden name, and any other information about her childhood is unknown. Historical records do not agree with all of the legend, but in the end, Fisher was hung for her crimes. So, let's talk about the legend. Lavinia grew up to marry a man by the name of John Fisher, and the couple lived near Charleston, South Carolina. The two made their living operating a hotel called the Six Mile Wayfarer House, which they managed into the early 1800s. However, mysteriously, men who were visiting Charleston began to disappear. As more and more reports were filed with the authorities regarding these missing men, it was determined that they were last seen 
at the six-mile Wayfarer house, which was called such because it was six miles outside of Charleston. Though the local authorities began an investigation, there was no evidence that the Fishers were involved. This, coupled with their popularity in the town, led to the investigation initially being dropped. Lavinia was a very beautiful and charming woman, adding to her popularity in the community and to the business of the hotel. However, it would be later learned that she utilized these very characteristics to help her husband rob and kill many of their male travelers. And as more and more men went missing, the rumor mill began to do its work. The locals soon gathered up a group of vigilantes who went to the Fishers in February of 1819 to stop the activities that were occurring there. Though it's unknown what they may have said or done, they were obviously satisfied with their task and returned to Charleston, leaving one man by the name of David Ross to stand watch in the area. Early the next morning, David Ross was attacked by two men and dragged before a group of men along with Lavinia Fisher. He looked to her for help, but instead, she choked him and smashed his head through a window. Somehow, Ross was able to escape and alerted authorities. At nearly the same time, a man named John Peoples was traveling from Georgia to Charleston and, tired from his very long trip, stopped at the six-mile house to see if they had a room. He was warmly greeted by the beautiful Lavinia, who informed him they didn't have a room available, but invited him in for tea and a meal. Her company was so pleasant that he ignored Lavinia's husband's odd glances at him and chatted with her, answering every one of her questions. When she excused herself from the table for a moment, she returned with tea and some good news. A room had suddenly become available if Jim, if John still wanted it. He accepted, and Lavinia poured him another cup of tea. But John didn't like tea, but didn't want to seem impolite. So instead of refusing it or leaving it untouched, he poured it out when she wasn't looking. Afterwards, she showed him to his room. He then began to wonder why she had asked him so many questions, and why was her husband staring at him all evening? Suddenly, he felt uncomfortable with all the information that he had provided, and wondered if he might become a target for robbery. Feeling safer in the chair by the door than in the bed, he dozed until he was awakened by a very loud noise. Looking around, he realized that the bed he should have been sleeping in had disappeared into a deep hole beneath the floor. John quickly jumped out the window, got on his horse, and fled to authorities in Charleston. Police then arrested John and Lavinia Fisher, as well as two men that they had been operating with. The six-mile Wayfarer house was thoroughly searched and the grounds dug up. Filled with hidden passages, the sheriff reportedly found items that could be traced to dozens of travelers. A tea laced with an herb that could put someone to sleep for hours, a mechanism that could be triggered to open the floorboards beneath the bed, and, in the basement, as many as a hundred sets of human remains. The Fishers pled not guilty, 
but were ordered to stay in jail until their trial. In the meantime, their co-conspirators were released on bail. At their trial in May, the jury didn't agree with their innocent plea, found them guilty of multiple robberies and murders, and they were sentenced to hang. However, they were given ample time to appeal the conviction. During the wait, they occupied themselves making a plan to escape. Housed together in a jail that was not heavily guarded, they began making a rope from jail linens. On September 13th, they put their plan in place and used the rope to drop down to the ground. John made it out, but the rope broke, leaving Lavinia trapped in the cell. Not willing to go without his wife, he returned to the jail and the two were afterwards kept under much tighter security. In February of 1820, the Constitutional Court rejected their appeal and their execution was scheduled for later that month. A local minister by the name of Reverend Richard Furman was sent in to counsel the pair if they so wished. John freely talked to Furman and is said to have begged the priest to save his soul if not his life. However, the cruel Lavinia would have nothing to do with him. On the morning of February 18, 1820, the Fishers were taken from the Charleston jail to be hanged on the gallows behind the building. John Fisher went quietly, praying with the minister whom he had asked to read a letter. Before a crowd of some 2,000 people, the letter insisted on his innocence and asked for mercy for those who had done him wrong in the judicial process. He then began to verbally plead his case before the gathered crowd, but before he was hanged, asked for their forgiveness. It's said that Lavinia wore a wedding dress to her hanging, because, you know, when you're a queen, you got to. Hoping her beauty and the pitifulness of her state would cause some man in the crowd to swoon and marry her at the last moment. Evidently, when she realized that wasn't going to happen, her mood changed and soured. They had to drag her up on the gallows, kicking and screaming. According to one historian of the time, and I quote, she stamped in rage and swore with all the vehemence of her amazing vocabulary, calling down damnation. The crowd stood shocked into silence while she cut short one curse with another and ended with a volley of shrieks. End quote. Before the crowd, she continued to scream pointedly at the Charleston socialites, who she blamed for encouraging a conviction. Before her executioners could tighten the noose around her neck, she yelled into the crowd, If you have a message you want to send to hell, give it to me, I'll carry it. Then, before they could finish the job, she jumped off the scaffold herself. Not quite reaching the ground, she dangled down into the crowd. Later, onlookers would say that they had never seen such a wicked stare or chilling sneer as that which was on the 27-year-old Lavinia's face. Historical records do not indicate that hundreds of remains were found in the Fisher's basement. There were a couple of bodies dug up on the property, but nothing to tie them to the Fisher's for sure, and according to records, they were never charged with murder, actually. So while Fisher is claimed to be the first female serial killer in the United States, that distinction likely belongs to Jane Toppin, who confessed to 31 murders in 1901. 
who was also found not guilty by reason of insanity. One thing the records do agree on is the fact that they robbed many travelers, and highway robbery was still a hanging offense. Also called into question is the fact that Lavinia wore her wedding dress to her execution, or that she jumped from the scaffolding herself. Sometimes, the legend is just more fun to tell, and this one has lived on for a long while in Charleston lore. In fact, the Charleston Courier provided an article in the newspaper on February 22, 1819 about the Fisher's arrest, and I have the joy of reading that to you now. In Saturday's Courier, we gave some particulars of the conduct of a set of outlaws who have for a long time past infested the road in the vicinity of this city, and whose outrageous conduct had of late become insupportable. We then stated that the occupants of a small house five miles from town had been driven out and the building burnt to the ground, and that certain others, in possession of a house one mile above, had been compelled to leave it and another person put in possession of it by the owner. It now appears that as soon as the citizens had returned to town, the persons who had been thus compelled to leave the last-mentioned house returned to it in the evening and beat the person who had been put in possession in a most inhuman manner when he escaped into the woods and made the best of his way to town. The next morning, the same gang stopped a traveler up the road, beat him cruelly, cut his head in several places, and then robbed him of about thirty or forty in money. These circumstances being made known to the civil authority, the sheriff of this district, collected a posse of citizens and proceeded on Saturday afternoon to the spot, surrounded the house, and seized upon it its occupants, three men and two women, after which they burnt the house and outbuildings to the ground, without allowing the occupants to remove an article of its contents, brought the offenders to town, and committed them to jail. The posse found in an outhouse, the hide of a cow, which had been recently killed, and was identified to be the property of one of our citizens. She had been missing for several days. This accounts for the manner in which the cows are disposed of, which are so frequently stolen and never afterwards heard of. The inmates of the house were armed with ten or twelve muskets and a keg of powder. But the force which went against them was too imposing to admit of any chance of success in a resort to arms. One of the leaders in these high-handed depredations was arrested into town on Saturday afternoon and likewise committed to jail. We trust that these decisive steps will restore quiet to the neighborhood and enable our country brethren to enter and leave the city without the fear of insult or robbery. The following is a correct list of the members of the gang who were apprehended and committed to prison on Saturday night. John Fisher, Lavinia Fisher, his wife, William Hayward, James Elway, Jane Howard, and Seth Young. It is supposed there are more of them lurking about and is hoped the vigilance of the police and citizens will ferret them out and bring them to justice. We are informed and requested to state that Mr. John People, who was robbed and unmercifully beaten by the villains mentioned above, is an honest, industrious young man from the country and had a sum of money entrusted to his care, which the robbers took from him. Thus ends the article. And I'm just going to say for one, why do we not write like this anymore? Because seriously, that 
was an awesome article. All right. Anyways, now for the second part that I promised. That's right. We're now going to talk about the ghost of Lavinia Fisher. It should come as no surprise with a terrible story such as this that the ghost of Lavinia said to still roam in Charleston. Almost immediately following her death, locals began to report seeing her face floating behind the bars of the window where she was held. Then, after the great earthquake of 1886, people began to report her wandering around in other parts of the neighborhood, as well as the Unitarian Cemetery just a few blocks away. The old jail building served as the Charleston County Jail from its construction in 1802 until 1939. Way back in 1680, when the city of Charleston was being laid out, a four-acre square of land was set aside at this location for public use. In time, a hospital, poorhouse, workhouse for runaway slaves, and the jail were built on this square. The first structures were erected on the site in 1738, when the property was used as a workhouse for runaway slaves and makeshift hospitals for paupers, vagrants, and beggars. Criminals were also housed here before the old jail building was erected, though they were kept separate from non-offenders. Punishments and executions also took place at this location. Criminals faced whippings, brandings, torture, and deprivation of food and water. For horse thieves, their ears were sometimes nailed to a post before finally sliced off altogether. For the worst offenders, they might be burned at the stake, hanged, or drawn and quartered. You know, I'm just going to say, you know, we've gone a long way, baby, for our, you know, judicial process. But I'm starting to think that, you know, with all these repeat offenders, maybe we should bring back some of these. Anyways, I'm just kidding. Anyways, <laughs> over the years, numerous structures were built, demolished, and rebuilt. When the jail was constructed in 1802, it consisted of four stories, topped with a two-story octagonal tower. Later changes were made to the building, including a rear octagonal wing, expansions to the main building, and the Romanesque revival details. Unfortunately, the 1886 earthquake badly damaged the tower and top story of the main building, and thus they were removed. In the 137 years that the building was in operation, it not only served as a jail, but also an asylum, housing a great variety of inmates, including John and Lavinia Fisher. In the early part of the 1800s, numerous high sea pirates were jailed here, and after Denmark Vesey's planned slave revolt in 1822, hundreds were incarcerated awaiting their trials. Vesey, a freed slave, planned an insurrection that called for free blacks to assist hundreds of slaves to kill their owners and temporarily seize the city of Charleston before sailing away to Haiti. However, the plot was leaked and hundreds of blacks were arrested in the conspiracy. In total, 67 men were convicted and 35 were hanged, including Denmark Vesey. Increased restrictions were afterward placed on slaves and free blacks, including a law that all black seamen be kept at the jail while they were in port. During the Civil War, both Confederate and Federal prisoners of war were incarcerated here. Though the jail was intended to hold around 128 prisoners, over the years as many as 300 people were often incarcerated at one time. 
In some rooms, prisoners were locked in cages barely the size of a person's body. Disease, torture, and violence within the walls of this historic building were rampant, and an estimated 10,000 people died on the property during its operation. The jail was finally closed in 1939, and for the next 61 years, it sat abandoned. However, in 2000, the American College of the Building Arts acquired the old city jail building and immediately established a stabilization program. Today, the old city jail is an official Save America's Treasure project of the National Trust for Historic Preservation, and efforts to restore and maintain the building are ongoing. However, reports of strange occurrences begin with the restoration efforts in 2000. One of the first reports was workers finding footprints in the dust after the building had been locked off for months due to lead paint contamination. More and more anomalies occurred as preservation continued and the building was open for tours. Several apparitions have been reported, including several workers who saw the ghost of a jailer with a rifle on the third floor. The phantom was said to have passed through the bars, heading toward them before it vanished. Others have reported seeing a black man in ragged clothing wandering aimlessly in the halls. Thought to be the spirit of a former slave, the man is seemingly unaware of the living or his surroundings. But the old jail's most famous ghost is that of the cruel killer Lavinia Fisher. Several who have visited the historic building often claim to have seen the woman in her wedding dress, describing it as being bright red and white. Strange sounds are heard throughout the building, including the hum of a dumbwaiter moving through the floors, even though it hasn't been operational in years. Alarms are said to go on and off randomly. For others, their experiences have been physical. Visitors and employees alike have complained of a choking feeling and shortness of breath while on the main staircase. Other report being grabbed, pushed, touched, and scratched by unseen forces. A tour guide tells a story of feeling a rope wrap around her ankle and a man in the basement had his sunglasses knocked off by a violent unseen force. Other strange happenings also allegedly occur, such as terrible odors that are so bad as to make people feel ill. Others report feelings of being watched. In the basement, even though the temperatures may be quite warm, visitors have seen their breath come out in a cloud of fog. Doors are found open after being closed. And no, it's not Lavinia Fisher who's seen roaming the tombstones at Charleston's Unitarian Church. Her and her husband were buried in Potter's Field near the old jail, which, by the way, is another place where Lavinia's spirit is thought to haunt. Lavinia's ghost and several other odd experiences have been reported in her cell at the old jail, including sightings of her apparition from outside through the window. A lot of strange things are seen on the streets of Charleston, with the Spanish moss hanging from the oaks and the humidity of the summer thickening the air. But it's the story that counts most to while away the praline sweet minutes. Access to the jail is limited and most easily accessed through various ghost tour companies in Charleston. If you're interested, the Old City Jail is located at 21 Magazine and 17 Franklin Streets. 
And, just so you know, you might have Lavinia join you on that tour. And with that, my darlings, we've come to the end of our episode. And I thank you for joining me here today. I hope you'll take some time to reach out to me and share your thoughts on what you think happened. You can reach the show, as always, at darkenigmapodcast at gmail.com. And hey, if you have suggestions for a future show, or you just want to tell me what you think, drop me a line. I do respond to every email. And on that note, that's all the time we have for today. I thank you for joining me here on Renegade Talk Radio, and don't forget to tune in next time, my heathens. See you next time. Love ya. Mwah! We don't sugarcoat shit. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio.